welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations. Now covering The Emma Project by Sonali Dave. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. Keep up with us on TikTok, Instagram, and Patreon at The Pemberley. And you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pemberley Podcast, where this week we'll be diving into chapters five through eight of The Emma Project by Sonali Dave. But before we get into that, we like to start the episode by talking about some of the things we are currently reading, watching, enjoying. And this week, we both watch the same show. So we're going to use this time to talk about a show we think you should watch. We love it. It is season three of Never Have I Ever, created by Mindy Kaling and starring Maitri E. Ramakrishnan. If you don't know this show, where have you been? It's so good. It's so funny. They've consistently been making this show so quality that I'm really, I was really happy with this season. We don't need to give like a bunch of spoilers about it, but just know that it centers around a young high schooler in Sherman Oaks named Davy, who is just obsessed with the idea of having a boyfriend. She has all these fun friends and she is now dating the hottest guy at Sherman Oaks High School and it's a huge deal. So she's in a really good place in her life. She's like, oh my goodness, I'm dating the hottest guy. Everything's going great. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, Things do go wrong. So we'll see that unfold. Hilariously wrong. I mean, because this is season three. I mean, I feel like season one was such a roller coaster. Up, down, laughs, tears. Season two was great. And this season felt, I don't know, it just felt different to me. And maybe it's because the only like spoiler that I'll give is that for seasons one and two, we were dealing with a love triangle between the same three people. And I was like, oh, more of this, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And we've sort of broken that triangle and we've met some new love interests for, for Davey and for everyone else. It's been very exciting. And she finally had like a very good relationship with her mother, which I thought was very needed. I feel like I really watched the characters grow a lot because while on the one hand it is about her wanting to be cool and popular and desired, it's also about her recovering from the trauma of the passing of her father. She kind of wants like a normal high, like American high school experience. But she also, like, wants her dad. And so it's it's sort of about, like, the push-pull of her emotions. And it was just a great, it was a great season. Yeah. Which also, a fun fact, is that John McEnroe is the narrator. And it's just such a good contrast between how fun and light the writing is. And just hearing his voice (laughs) narrating all of it is great. The point is she's a high school student who makes stupid high school decisions. And he's kind of there to be like, for all of you adults at home, we know this is a bad decision, but Davey's 16 and se- or 17 and doesn't really know this yeah. stuff yet. And I'm like, good call. Thanks for reminding me. You know, <laughs> good call. So definitely check it out. It's on Netflix. It's a quick watch. Enjoy it. So with that, let's dive into The Emma Project. Previously, we met Nina and Vonch. Nina is dealing with the aftermath of her broken fake engagement. Meanwhile, Vonch is trying to figure out his next project and he starts planning a homelessness project around Hurry using funds from Jiggy, who is just like, yeah, I have a bunch of money. Just take whatever you need and do what you want. But Nina wants to stop him from taking her funds for her foundation, which helps young women across the world. So both great endeavors, but can both win? 
we'll see. We'll start with chapter five. This is Avanch chapter, and it's just kind of like a moment with him and his family at the Anchorage. So he's just decided that he's staying in the Bay Area. He knows he wants to um, help hurry with his situation. He knows he wants to you know, do something like solve homelessness in San Francisco. So he's working out at the private gym. Hello, private gym um, <laughs> in the Anchorage. Can the Rajas adopt me? He's honoring his promise to hurry that he's not going to tell Yush or Nisha that he uh, lives in a tent and is now put up in a hotel somewhere. But we learn a little bit more about him. We learn that he has dyslexia, and that's part of why he went to boarding school in high school and why he never went to college. And like, he was always a little embarrassed growing up because all of his siblings were very educated and they all loved to read. And we flash to a memory where his father, his royal highness, HRH, called him like stupid or dumb or something. And how his mom was like, Literally, if you ever say that about one of my kids, we'll all leave you. (laughs) And I was like, good for you, mom, Mina. The big thing about this chapter, too, is we get reintroduced to Isha, who has been a very present but small character throughout the books. We've been aware of the really tragic story that she's gone through, which is she was in a plane crash when she was very young, where her parents died. All the people on the plane died. She was the only survivor of this crash. After that crash, she started to have seizures, but she also started to have these more like prophetic dreams. And it kind of changed Isha's whole personality. And since she's been at the Anchorage, she has never left the Anchorage. And I think for the first time in this next chapter, in chapter six, we get really good insight into what happened. Because again, we've only heard like that sort of logline of her story. We're like, Isha, tragic story. She can see the future or she can see some kind of like dreams or something. But now in chapter six, we actually get more info about her. Yeah, she's definitely been one of the more mysterious Rajes. But I think that her father was like the eldest Rajay son Mm. of like their parents generation. And like, you know, it's a very traumatizing chapter. I mean, this sort of, I, I think to me, the biggest thing that kind of sets us up for Isha's story in this chapter is that it's like, her like, she basically lives on the fourth floor like, she has a room, but it's also, it, it feels kind of like a whole attic floor. It's very yeah. quiet. And, and she lives there with her grandmother. So, like, even though she's only 38, she's Nina's age. Like, I feel like she was never, like, a young woman. It sounds like she was a child. Like, she was a normal, happy kid. And then this accident completely changed her life, completely yeah. changed her personality and her health. And she's just kind of been, like, a quiet old woman just whenever I like picture the way that she's like dressed or is described like she just lives with her grandmother and I feel like you know it's always like oh Isha's kind of weak like she she needs to be away like I don't know it's just like I almost feel like she is someone who has the problems of an elderly person Mm, because of her health like that's how I've always pictured it and so Something unusual that happens is like they're all upstairs chatting. India's there. She's showing Isha and their grandmother some yoga moves as she does. She's a stress management person. She's a health wholeness person. Her brother, Sid, as just a reminder, the Dashwood kids are like all adopted from different countries. Sid is from India. India is from Thailand. China 
is from Kenya. <laughs> yes. And so Sid won some kind of award for a photograph that he took. And so she shows the photograph in the magazine to everyone. And it's of this like very majestic looking bird. Isha has this weird moment where she like turns pale as a ghost, takes the magazine, goes into her room. Everyone's like, okay, Isha's having a moment. We can't interrupt the moment because yeah. she's also like clairvoyant. And she comes out normal. We don't talk about it. The other sort of prominent part of this chapter is that Vonch was telling them that he got in a fight with someone recently. He didn't say who because he feels weird mentioning Nina in front of India, in front of his sisters. It's still kind of a tense thing. Isha guesses correctly that it's Nina. And he says, I think that whatever it is you're fighting you shouldn't back down. And that kind of sets us up for Isha's story. You gave the logline pretty well, but like we're with her in that moment where like one minute she's just like a kid on a plane with her parents and they're telling her a story about this Indian demigod Garuda. And then the next thing, the plane is shaking uncontrollably. The next minute she's like hanging in a tree. She's the only one who survived. And she sees Garuda, this like, and I, I think it's significant. He's like uh, the head of a bird, like a white head of a bird. And he looks kind of like a kite. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of what gave her her episode in the last chapter. I mean, her whole sort of situation changes even more when she has a vision of, we met Jayanti, who's their housekeeper at the Anchorage. We're back in India at this point. We haven't come to the Bay Area yet. She has a vision of Jayanti's husband getting run over by a tractor and he's unrecognizable. And she tells them exactly where to find the body and they find it. Like it's exactly as she described. And so three days later, they put her on a plane to California where she basically retreated into this, into the anchorage and hasn't really come out since. It feels like before everything was very scattered for her and she felt like there was no containing whatever she was going through. The Anchorage has been this safe space where she feels a little more closed in. And I'm sure, I mean, it sounds like it's still like a huge house. Like there's lots of room to move around in. But she still feels like, okay, I have like my safe space. And I think going outside of that has not even been like an idea in her mind. She's going to stay at the Anchorage for the foreseeable future. Like she's always going to be there. But I think in that way, she's been able to, I think, focus a little more on like her abilities and take control of like her own health too. So even though she's very much so treated like in such a delicate state, She's had some stability throughout these years in such an unstable time in her life where her whole life has changed. She's in a new country. She's like, she doesn't have her parents anymore. And it's, you know, she's at least been able to have some sense of place and home with the Rajes and or or here at the Anchorage. But even so, I'm sure it's been distressing. She also describes like hearing the screams still like, from the plane crash and those screams haunting her. Yeah. So you can just like, it's horrifying to feel like one, how do you like start to tune out those screams or how prevalent are they? And, and that's something that I don't think she has really shared with anyone in her family. They don't understand like exactly the trauma and the everyday reminder of it that she's going through, which is really, really tough on her. And she's, she's holding that all in. I feel like she went from being just a traumatized 
orphaned child to like a clairvoyant woman like overnight like she didn't age it's just that this thing kind of aged her I I just think it's the way that everyone treats Isha like they're very delicate with her but she's also kind of revered because she has these clairvoyant abilities I mean the reason why they shoved Yush into politics is because she had a vision of him at a white house. Yeah. That's essentially set the trajectory for the rest of his life. And and she's had other prophecies and visions come true. And it's just like really heartbreaking to hear that 30 years later, she still hears the screams of the people (sighs) in the plane and she still wakes up and she's completely alone. She doesn't leave the house, you know? She's like Rapunzel up in this castle And like they sent her to California because, you know, she grew up in a palace where people were coming and going and that kind of aggravated her. And at least this place, like, it's like she seeks this. And what we learn is that she still has visions of Garuda. Like that was the last story her parents told her. Yeah. And he's become her like best friend. I mean, like, I don't even know if it's like a best friend, but she talks to him. Like she sees him everywhere. And I think... You know, she kind of was like, oh, he's in a magazine, like other people can see him kind of a thing. It's like, which is why it's very unusual. And she goes out onto her balcony and there's a literal random man (laughs) standing like on the ledge next to her balcony at the anchorage. And she's like, what? And he's like, did I just see a Brahmini kite? They don't live in California. Like, what are they doing here? And she's just like in shock because she's like, people don't come here and you're here. She's like, oh my gosh, did he see Garuda? Which is, to me, very hot priest and fleabag. <laughs> Garuda is like the audience and like only she can see us. And he's just like, I just saw the bird. Like, where did it go? What is it doing here? And she's like, did you just reveal yourself to this man who's like literally Romeo and Julietting me right now? <laughs> they get very close. Like, she is very immediately fascinated by Siddhartha. Like, mm-hmm. she gets up right next to him and he's also like, what are you doing? Who are you? Then he does let her into his space and notices his cleft lip where she's like, yeah, I've had like a bunch of surgeries to fix that. But then she like touches it. And it's like this very instant and intimate connection that neither of them know like what's going on. But for Isha, it's also like this very new feeling too. She's like, who is this person? And It's not necessarily like this attraction or anything romantic yet, but it's just like this immediate just magnetism. Like she's just drawn to him and she has to like be near him. It's interesting how it plays out. He has to not be there and he kind of leaves. Well, and it's very interesting because she's so deeply sensitive to how people are feeling, what their scars are, what their trauma is. It's like she can just touch them and like feel how they're feeling. But like, you know, when she touches him, I mean, she, she doesn't feel that way. It's like, like she literally feels a connection. If you want to compare it to Twilight with one of the uh, Volturi vampires who like with a touch, he can see like their past, present and everything. For Isha, she can usually tell what people are feeling and usually understands where they're at or has some kind of idea of something they've gone through recently. But with Sid, she's like, there's nothing. This is so interesting. Like this has never happened to her before. So she wants to explore it, but she's like, has no 
sense of personal boundaries either. She's like just going with it and he goes with it too. No, can you imagine just having no contact with anyone but your immediate family for 30 years? Carrying the past that you've had, never think you're going to meet anyone new. You never think that you're going to have a life outside of this house. Like, it makes me think of all the memes about being single where everyone's so introverted and they're like, haha, like, the only way I'm going to meet someone is if they literally break into my house. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, but that kind of happened for her. Yeah. Like, it's like he's outside her balcony. That's no coincidence. And then the vibes are immaculate. As soon as he's gone, she looks up and Garuda is like sitting there next to her. And she's like, why'd you let him see you? Like, you let him see you. What, why, what was that about? And then her grandmother comes out and then he's gone. And it's like, now I'm just like, okay, Isha just became the most interesting person in the entire Rajay family. There's no politics at play. There's no rules. It's like, she's just like so self-actualized and she's like so been her own person for 38 years, living this very quiet life. And it's just been upended. And she wants more. This is our story. This is the real story here. Isha is a side character in this book still because our main focus is Vonch and Nina. But I think later we're going to see how does Sid come into play with all of this, which kind of nervous if if it's going to play out in a bad way or in a good way. I am kind of breaking down all the characters in Emma that we've got. We've got our Emma. We've got Mm -hmm. our Knightley. We've got our Harriet. You know who we don't officially have is Mrs. Bates. And her niece, Jane Fairfax. It is a retelling because we are dealing with in a world of of set characters already. It's not like everything is going to be catered to or have an exact equal between Emma and the Emma Project. So I think some of these characters may be either combinations of characters yeah. or reinterpretations of characters. So I think as we go along and, and see these stories unfold, we're going to start to identify who's who. Because I'm curious to see if Siddhartha is Elton. I was just going to say Elton. We need Robert Martin. Yes. Like these are our players. This yeah. is this is who we... We've only met a couple of people. I like forgot Elton existed because he's the worst. Yeah. I bet Jiggy is Elton. Because he's like kind of the worst. He's... He's kind of the worst. Hmm. We need a rich guy who's showing interest in Emma and then is like, just kidding, I never liked you. I'm right. remarried, we you need, know? We're gonna need the badly done Vonch line. We need badly done Vonch, <laughs> exactly. We need, unfortunately, we need our Box Hill incident. Yeah. Like, I honestly, I'm not kidding. In Emma approved in 2020 Emma, I have to like mute and look away. Like, I try yeah. and skip that just because I can't stand the idea Of such good, exactly, like such good people just getting put down for being who they are. Like, I'm just like, ugh, it grosses me out. So bad every time. Every time. So don't know if it's going to be a recreation. That beat's going to be there. And I'm saying that for you and me because we're we're like sensitive flowers (laughs) and we're going to have to talk about it. (laughs) I know. How is Vonch going to really mess up? I know. Um, So going into chapter seven. So now we are away from Isha's story. That's something hopefully we'll pick up again soon. Chapter seven, we're back with Nina, who is showing off the office that she's at, which sounds insane. (laughs) The lobby is an amusement park. There is a like bungee jumping thing that people can do. And there's a pool underneath. There's some kind of Ferris wheel. It's like, it sounds insane and unreal. And also this is a huge tall building because she goes up to like the 
40 something floor. So it sounds very Willy Wonka-y and there's a glass elevator. Oh my gosh. It sounds like too, as people are bungee jumping, like there's people are screaming. And so she's like, well, I've been working here for three months now, so I'm used to the screaming. I think you're a lot more on target with Willy Wonka, but I was like, oh, it sounds like the Toys R Us in Times Square. (laughs) You know, like it's just like crazy. There's a Ferris wheel inside. It's not quite an amusement park. I feel like if you gave a 10 year old a company and they're like, whatever you want, (laughs) they're gonna be like, I want a Ferris wheel and I want bungee jump. Like, I'm just like, this sounds like Richie Rich if he like had a company. Yeah. He had a, he had a roller coaster at home. He yeah, he did. He had like all that stuff and I'm just like he's got it made in the shade like I know. now that I say it out loud I'm like oh that's not stupid. That's exactly what this is. And now he just has his own company with all this money. Yeah. So Nina is very confused because all the women in her office are all suddenly like walking around. They're all like very like looking around for someone in particular and then she realizes that Vonch has showed up unannounced and all the women are like batting their eyelashes flipping their hair trying to get a glimpse of him and Nina just has to like stare them down and spray them to like back away back away so he has showed up because he's like we have a meeting right and and Nina is just getting a little more annoyed by him but she's also very amused by Vonch because they still have a good friendship but it feels like their dynamic has changed since she's become single I think they've always had this friendly relationship but now it feels like Vonch is a little more confident a little more flirtatious And Nina has also noticed, oh, wait, he's actually like really attractive. So all these things are starting to piece together. He shows up because he's like, remember at the party when Jiggy was like, we'll have a meeting. I'm here for that meeting. (laughs) I didn't even remember that. Like I made the, we made the outlines and I didn't even remember that meeting. Which Jiggy is even like, project meeting. What? Then Vonch says, oh, you know, at the party, my brother, the governor of California. And then Jiggy's like, Oh, right. We had an appointment. Of course we did. Young Rajay, come in, come in. It's very like, I don't think my father, the inventor of Toaster yes. Strudel, <laughs> would be very happy about this. Yes, very much so. Which at this point, Jiggy goes into like his whole spiel of like what they do and what kind of projects they look for, which Nina has become a little numb to how he talks and the way he talks. And because she describes it as this branded version of giving, which it is. It's very much like, how do we make sure we tap into the most topical of charity projects, the most like non-controversial and and ones that are going to get us the biggest press and the most notoriety without really shaking up too many things. And so that's what he's into. He's into like, what makes me look really, really good? And I don't have to spend that much money on it either. So he's looking for like a sexy charity project. When Vonch is like, oh, homelessness. He's like, I grew up on in Mumbai. Homelessness is not sexy. (laughs) So even though Jiggy was a bit caught off guard with this impromptu meeting, he's like, you know what? Why don't you just come over to my big New Year Dandia party and I'll hear your project then. Launch is like, great, here's another opening. I'll bring him the project then. So the party will come into play later. Now that I'm like in the adult world and I know how pitch meetings work and schedules and everything, I always love it in movies when they're like, sure, come to the party, come to the wedding. You can pitch it to me then. I'm like, really? At your party? There's no time. You want to like be pitched to in a loud room where everyone's trying to get your attention and you're half drunk? Like, 
I, I almost feel like Sonali knows how that sounds, where it's like, they're having a meeting now. Like, he can't just pitch in the work meeting that they're having at the work office. No. Like, it's gotta be. But also, this is the guy who has a literal amusement park in his lobby. So yeah. I feel like he doesn't really have a sense of, like, work time and fun time boundaries. No, definitely not. So chapter eight, really, where we finish off is that Vonch is on his way to hurry. He actually sees Nina, who's helping out a homeless man, and he's like, oh, like, I've never seen her not glammed up. It's nice to see her just in her everyday clothes sort of thing. But he goes to Hurry, who I think has not moved an inch (laughs) in this hotel room. He's, like, not eaten. He's not showered. He's just staying where he is because he thinks he's so afraid of what's going to happen next. Yeah. He's mainly scared of the news getting back to his family. So he just makes sure, like, so no one knows. You didn't tell Yash. You didn't tell Nisha. And the thing is, Vonch is like, listen, even if I did tell them, they're not going to judge you. Which, famous last words, who knows? Maybe they will judge him and maybe they'll be like, why didn't you just say something to anyone? Well, I feel like they are classy enough people that, of course, they would judge him. But yeah. they would not let <laughs> it be it. known. Yeah. It's also in the scene where we learn just how hot a water Hurry is in. Brilliant kid, went to grad school in the States, probably Stanford. They don't say it though. As he was finishing up his degree and launching his own company, he basically was the architect of this technology that could basically track social media usage. And so he built that technology and then this like business partner, Jim, swooped in to help with the business side of things. And all he really did was screw Hari out of his, what he's entitled to in the business, put his own name on the, the technology patent. So like technically Hari owns it, but yeah. his name is not on the patent because he got screwed. But he used that technology on Yush's campaign. So we have some very legal delicacies <laughs> yes. here. And I think Von just like, oh boy, okay, so we, okay, this is a little deeper than I thought. It's more than just teaching you how to make money. You're really dug yourself a hole here, not like his fault, but he's just so deeply ashamed and embarrassed that it's going to get back to his family in India, that he's homeless, that he's not successful, that it, it's just harder than he thought it was going to be. But Von just convinced he's like, I can find a solution to this. I can find a solution to the homelessness problem. I can find a solution to anything. So he is motivated. Good for Vange. He's <laughs> so 26 years old. <laughs> yes, he's going to solve all the problems. He's going to go to this party. He's going to pitch this big idea. So he's got high hopes for what's next. And that's pretty much where we end this chapter. Yeah. So stay tuned for next week where we're going to find out what happens in the romance between Vange and Nina and Isha and Siddhartha and we're gonna learn how Vanj is gonna solve homelessness and solve hurry. We'll cover chapters 9 through 12 next week. In the meantime keep up with us on all of our socials at the Pemberley and if you have any comments, questions, concerns, hopefully you don't have any concerns but you can still email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com Stay tuned for next week. Mm-hmm.